Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about redefining wealth through intelligent finances and purposeful life design. My first guest is Jean Chatsky. She's been in the news a lot lately as she's helping us cope through our financial worries during COVID-19. Let's join the conversation with Jean. That's right. We're talking with Jean Chatsky about her new book, Women with Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stress, Purposeful, and yes, Rich Life You Deserve. For those of you who don't know her, Jean Chatsky is the financial editor of NBC's Today Show, an award-winning personal finance journalist, best-selling author, and host of Her Money, a podcast. Jean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is a pleasure. Let's jump in and talk about the differences between how men and women relate to money. Absolutely. And and they are vast. It's not that we need different investments necessarily, but we do hew to our biological makeup in a lot of ways, as well as how we were socialized. And so... Men tend to view money as a game, for lack of a better word, where the goal is acquiring more. Women tend to view it as a means of meeting our goals, whatever our goals are. And most often those goals are safety and security before we can get to the laundry list of the other things that we want money to do for us. And, and that's in part how we are wired, you know, we are not so far evolved from our male and female cave person <laughs> ancestors who were, you know, hunter gatherers and, and who had their finite roles in society. Um, women are, are still very, very much focused on um, making sure that our money is there to protect us. And, and sometimes we do that to our detriment. It's interesting that you mentioned that because when you talk about, you know, basic human needs, right? Women, we do, we are all about the safety, right? We're about the safety because we want to take care of our young. We want to feel as though our base is secure. And men feel like they're the hunters, right? They need to go out and make the kill. And the acquisition of stuff is, is part of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's not that women don't want stuff, right? We, we oh, yeah. buy 85% of things in America. We are responsible for 85% of the spending on, on everything. And that's big purchases as well as small purchases. And, and in part, that's because we do the, the shopping in, in large part for our families. But 
in researching this book, I asked hundreds of women a, a, a very straightforward question, you know, what do you want from your money? And I heard safety, security, stability in about every way you could hear that answer from, I don't just want a house. I want a house with a paid off mortgage. I, I don't just want a car. I want a safe car. I want a car with the backup cameras and all the airbags. I don't just want savings. I want substantial savings in the bank. And what I learned through that process and, and also, you know, it made me look at my, myself and how I have treated money in my own life. And, and it mirrors those answers in, in a lot of ways is that we've got to get to safety and then we've got to move past it. Because if you're just focused on safety, you are not focused on accumulation. And because women continue to earn less than men and continue to live longer than men. We need to accumulate substantially and to grow our money in order to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves down the road. And what I hear you implying, but not necessarily saying yet, is healthy risk-taking. Yeah, healthy risk-taking, particularly when it comes to investments. Another one of the questions that I asked in these groups of women, and I, I did, I, I did these interviews individually, but I also held and continue to hold a series of Her Money Happy Hours. My, my podcast is called Her Money. And when I travel, I gather groups of women and we open a bottle of wine and I've developed a series of questions. It's, it's almost like a game, card game, where we pull questions and we talk about money, which is, it, it sounds almost manufactured that you have to get into a room and open a bottle of wine and, <laughs> and pull a card in order to have a conversation about money. But the fact is, we never talk about this. And so having a place and a forum where the intention is to discuss money is really, really helpful. And um, people love it they because because it, it opens the floodgates. And once you start talking about it, you want to talk about it more. But one of the other questions that I asked was, are you an investor? And I would, you know, look around and I would see maybe a few sheepish hands go up. And then I would ask, well, do you have a, a 401k or an IRA? And every hand would go up. And what's interesting is when we talk about investing, if you've got money in a 401k or an IRA, a retirement account, you've got it in index funds, you're continuing to add to it. Maybe you put it in a target date fund because that's what you were defaulted into you're an investor and you're probably a pretty good investor. But in our minds, investors are Gordon Gecko. Investors mm -hmm. are Warren Buffett. Investors are in the market trying to time things and trying to manipulate things and, and doing it on a daily basis. And day traders are not investors. Day traders are traders. It's a very, very different thing. And for women to accomplish our goals with our money, we don't have to be traders. We do have to be investors and, and we should own the fact that we're already doing it and we're already doing it well. I want to just jump back for a second to the happy hours on her money, because what you what it sounds like you created in those in those sessions is safety. Right. You're bringing the bottle yes. of wine. So you're creating comfort and safety. You've got the social lubricant of the wine and the fellowship or the camaraderie. And that opens up the conversation. 
It does. And sometimes I crowdsource these gatherings. So the women don't know each other. I have had, I did one recently out in California, which I know is where you are. And when I went around the room, I had women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s all just showed up because they were listening to the podcast or they were participating in our Facebook group. And when it was time to be over, they were exchanging information because they wanted to do it again. That's pretty cool. Let's talk about the art of using money to buy more time because this is a big one for me personally. Yeah. And I think a lot of us don't pay attention to where our time goes. I think that using money to buy more time is one of the best things that we can do with our money because we're so time starved. And looking at the, the line items on your plate and thinking about, you know, where could I trade time for money? Where, what are the things that I either don't enjoy doing, don't do very well, where the cost of me doing them is a lot higher than the cost of hiring out. You know, if you, if you start to filter through that sort of a lens and, and if you know what your time is worth, and that's a really, really important calculation. Yes. There, it's very easy to get to, by the way. If, if you make an, look, if you, if you work hourly, you know what your time is, is worth because you know what people pay you by the hour. But if you have an annual salary, if you lop off the last couple of zeros and you divide by two, then you know what your time is worth. So if you're earning $50,000 a year, you lop off the last three zeros, you got a 50, you divide by two, you're at $25 an hour. And it's, it's pretty much that simple. And it's not that every single one of your hours you get paid that amount of money because there is, you know, time that we devote to things other than work. But it's a nice tool to have when you're evaluating, should I hire someone to clean my house every other week because A, hate it and B, I could, I would feel a lot better if I would spend that time out with my family. I would feel a lot better if I could devote that time to volunteering or to the gym or whatever it is you feel that you're lacking. Or if you feel like in order to accomplish something that's on your to-do list, you'd have to learn that task, that it's perhaps cheaper and faster just to outsource it. Yeah, no question. No question. We've got the uh, 15 minute rule uh, around here that if, if it takes more than 15 minutes of your time, to figure out how to do it, it's probably better to outsource it. This is the IKEA furniture rule, right? I oh, mean, I've not heard that. Is that true? Oh no, I <laughs> just I just made that up. But yeah. that is one of the things that I outsource because yeah. I can't put furniture together. I, you know, if it comes in a box with an Allen wrench, it's not for me. <laughs> it's not that I don't want it in my house. It's just that th- this is when my husband and I fight because neither of us can can actually do it. And so we we've learned, you know. You got to add a hundred dollars to the cost of whatever furniture it is you're trying to put together because you're going to outsource that. Exactly. You've hit the nail on the head. No pun intended. And your relationship is probably more harmonious because of it. 
we have learned the things that we both need to outsource. And yeah, absolutely. If you if you can avoid a fight because you know you're both really bad at something and it's going to make you want to pull out your hair, I'd say that goes on the list. I want to sort of ease into the territory of money in relationships. We're going to take a break in a second, but we can kind of step through the portal because modern times requires that we view our relationships with money in partnership a little bit differently. Yeah, absolutely. Because in many cases, we are equal wage earners, or we are coming to relationships having already established a financial life and a financial identity. And and what that means is that it's important to set up a framework in which you both understand what the other person values. And just because you love somebody does not mean you value the same things. And you need a framework that provides autonomy for both of you so that you can establish a way to manage this relationship with respect. I love it. Uh, Let's take the break. And when we come back, I want to talk more with you about money and relationships. The book we're talking about today is Women with Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stress, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. My guest is Jean Chatsky. To learn more about Jean Chatsky and her work, please visit hermoney.com, on Twitter at Jean Chatsky, Facebook Jean Chatsky, and on Instagram, that handle is also Jean Chatsky. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. Hang on. Before we take that break, I want to share with you my new fiendish entertainment obsession. Best Fiends is a downloadable app that is seriously good fun. It's a great way to redirect that busy brain of yours from current events, anxiety and worry to amusing interactive mind play that engages the old noggin in new ways to solve puzzles, collect characters and compete with people, you know, and people you don't. For me, it's a little stress relief in the palm of my hand. I spend a few delightful minutes each day to focus my attention on this highly engaging digital universe that challenges my skills. Best Fiends gives my brain a rest from daily routine and transports me to another colorful realm that is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike any other out there in cyberspace. I've been climbing the ranks and leveling up. Right now I'm at 575 and steadily rising. Best Fiends never gets old. Every month there is fresh new dynamic content and events that will delight your senses. And here's the cool part. Best Fiends can be played anywhere and you do not need Wi-Fi access or use cellular data to play. So why not join me in my happy, harmless obsession over at Best Fiends? Engage your brain and focus your mind with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now here comes that pause. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back. Let's get back to the conversation with Gene Chatsky. We're talking about redefining wealth and intelligent finances. 
Prior to the break, we were talking about money in relationships, Jean, and you were talking about how modern times require a modern perspective with money. But let's go back to primitive caveman and mm-hmm. and the idea of money and power being something that people wrestle with. People imbue money with a lot of emotion, right? Definitely for some people, money is power, but per, for some people, money is love. For some people, money is security. We talked about that. For some people, it is all of those things. But the reason that the book is entitled Women with Money is because we are in the midst of this sea change where women have more of the money and will continue to have more of the money. By, by the year 2033, women are expected to have two thirds of the wealth in the United States. And that's a result not just of educational trends, but of the fact that in the transfer of wealth from generation to generation, women will inherit twice. We're inheriting not just from our parents, but from husbands who we will outlive. Mm. And so, yeah. And so it's both of those things working in tandem. But the result is that the power balance is shifting. And that is something that is difficult for a lot of relationships to navigate, especially if the balance of power shifts while you're in the midst of a relationship. If you have a spouse or a partner and you've come to the relationship where you're both equal wage earners or where one is working and the other one is not you know, that's the status quo. And that's what you're expecting to continue. If it shifts over time, and if the woman woman becomes the primary wage earner, that's sometimes difficult for the relationship to deal with. And it's something that you have to deal with actively in order for it not to mess your relationship up. It's interesting that you mentioned that in my household, my partner is a high end residential architect, and he is a great practice. But he says, Lisa, she's the money engine, you know, and he has no problem with it. And that's very, very different in terms of old school mentality versus new school. My husband doesn't have a problem with it either. But since we've been married, this is our second marriage, both for both of us. I've been the primary breadwinner. It's It was the status quo when we got together. What I think is important is that whatever your relationship is with, with your spouse, with your partner, that you, the two of you are comfortable with it and that you close ranks and close out the opinions of your friends and family and anybody yes. else who has a comment on it. It is your business. It is none of their business. And if it's working for you and you are happy with the way that your financial life is running itself and you are making goals that make sense for the two of you and strategizing to meet those goals together, then who cares what anybody else says? I agree, sister. And that doesn't mean that the uh, the partner is a leech. It's like everybody comes to the relationship bearing different gifts. Absolutely. And it means that you've figured out what you value in this person. And that, that often has absolutely nothing to do with their ability to earn a a certain amount of money. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about strategies for getting paid what you are worth plus tax. 
Amen, amen, amen. How do we do this? First, we need to know what we're worth. And that's easier to figure out than it used to be because there are websites like Payscale and Salary.com and Glassdoor where you can do some some pretty good sleuthing and reporting to figure out what somebody in a position like yours should get paid. I also like the idea of looking at your own company's want ads, employment ads, because when you see what they're willing to pay new people who are doing jobs similar to you, you you know what's on the table. Sometimes when we've been with companies for a long time, our salaries start to pale in comparison with the new hires just because there's been a sea change in the industry. And it's frustrating to feel as if you have to go out and get another offer in order to get paid more. But that's sometimes what you have to do. The other thing that often helps is to talk to people about what they get paid. And we're, we're, if you, if you search the hashtag talk pay, you'll see an ongoing conversation on, on Twitter about about the fact that more people and especially more millennials are, are doing this and encouraging others to do it. I find it difficult in practice, but I think that we can make a lot of headway by doing it as we exit a particular job. So as you leave your job, if you're going to another opportunity, pull another woman beside and one who's staying and share with her, you know, this is what I was making. When you go for your next salary negotiation, when you go for your next performance review, just keep this information in your back pocket. Maybe it will help you. Interesting. Let's talk about money spring cleaning. What are five quick, simple things that we can do now to start cleaning up our money life? Okay. Number one, if you've never gone through the exercise before, track your spending. And, and I say that because it is incredibly eye opening. People do not have any idea where their money is going and they often feel like they're not meeting their own financial goals because they've got so many other obligations. But if you pay attention to the flow of funds, you can start to be more conscious about where you want your money to go. Number two, start saving automatically for all of your goals. It's difficult for a lot of the very human reasons that we've been talking about during your show for people to save money consistently. We are wired for immediate gratification rather than delayed gratification. And so we need to make sure that we're getting done what we need to get done and saving automatically is a great way to do it. Clean up your desktops, both desktops. When I talk about cleaning off my desk, I I do mean cleaning off my physical desk. But also clean up your online desktop and make sure that everything is is organized in a way that you can find an important piece of paper the next time you're looking at it. Um, give your give your passwords a similar cleanup so that you don't have to fight to figure out how you <laughs> signed on to a particular website or use a password manager if you're not using one already. We use one password and it's it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. I think consolidating accounts 
is a good thing for people to consider doing if you have had a number of jobs over the past decade or so. And, and we know people have an average of 12 jobs over the course of a career these days. That can result in a lot of 401ks sort of at prior employers, bringing them all together under one financial firm so that you can sign on to one account and see everything is really, really important. And lastly, if it's been a long time since you sat down and set financial goals by yourself or or with a partner, I think that's a great exercise to go through. I love the first one. I mean, these are all really great, but I go to that first one about tracking the spending because I know that this is where it's like a sieve. All the little teeny little things that we spend money on on a daily basis that we don't need. You know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking the coffee runs, the, you know, the, the smoothie runs and it's a sieve, right? It's, it just, it flows out without any conscious awareness. And you and I were talking about being sick in bed and I was sick this past week and I realized I spent nothing. Didn't leave the house, yeah. spent nothing. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I hate the coffee example at this point. I think once you do what I do for, for so many years, you've heard enough about coffee. But, but here's the thing. If coffee's your priority, then I don't care if you spend money on it. But what I want is for you to know what's important to you. Yeah. And if you decide that, 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 that cup of coffee, that, that coffee bean or that Starbucks or whatever it is, is necessary and, it, and gives you a boost as you go through the day, well, God bless, right? But that's but choice. But if you're doing, that's choice. Yeah. It's conscious. Yeah. If you decide something, you know, I'd rather spend my money on an orange theory class. I'd rather spend my money on, uh, a a class that I want to take to improve my skills. I'd rather buy a book, whatever, whatever it is. I just want you to think about it. Yeah. Wow. Well, there is a lot to think about here. The book we've been talking about is Women With Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stress, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. My guest today has been author Jean Chatsky. She's also the financial editor of NBC's Today Show, an award-winning personal finance journalist, best-selling author, and host of Her Money with Jean Chatsky, which is the podcast. To learn more about Jean Chatsky and her work and the podcast, please go to hermoney.com. On Twitter, she can be reached at Jean Chatsky. On Facebook, Jean Chatsky. And on Instagram, guess what? Jean Chatsky. (laughs) (laughs) Jean, thank you so much. This has been really interesting, informative, and challenging for us to go out and spring clean. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. A pleasure. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. If you're just joining us now, we're focusing on redefining wealth through intelligent finances and purposeful life design. My next guest, Ida Abbott, has written the ultimate go-to workbook for designing a life filled with intention, 
purpose, meaning, and joy. Let's join that conversation with Ida Abbott. Ida is an international leader in the field of talent management. Her current practice focuses on the power of mentoring relationships to guide, support, and transform professional careers from the beginning of practice through retirement. She is the author of numerous seminal books and publication and is a popular speaker. And I've had the great fortune of, of just hanging out with Ida in a virtual chat for probably the last 45 minutes. And Ida, for the record, let's go live and talk about this. Um, let's talk about your book, Retirement by Design. Why do you feel it's so needed and why did you write it? Well, first of all, Lisa, thank you for inviting me to do this and oh. the opportunity to spend some time with you and, and your listeners. My purpose in writing this book was to respond to the needs my clients were telling me about. They would say to me things like, I've been in this career my whole life. What else could I possibly do? I have to keep working. Or how can I possibly retire? I have no other interest. This is all, you know, this is my whole life. Or I have plenty, you know, I've, I've worked with a financial advisor. I think I can afford it. I'll never totally be able to afford it. But, you know, what would I do every day? And I thought, you know, if, if people don't have any guidance about what their days are going to look like, what their lives could look like, of course, they're never going to make a move because it's too uncertain. And retirement raises too many negative images in their mind. And I thought, well, how can we turn that around? Because if you're retiring, whatever that means, and we can talk about as you noted, you know, retirement can mean anything today. It doesn't mean sitting on a in a, a rocking chair on the porch and waiting to die. You know, if you have something to look forward to, you're much more likely to get creative and to think about possibilities and to actually make a move because there's something positive to move forward toward. So that was and I thought people didn't need just advice about how to do it. What they needed was to figure it out for themselves because we all have different lives and different interests and different needs. Um, so this was intended to be a workbook to help you figure out what's important to you. What do you want to do when you retire? What does retirement mean to you? And uh, how do you make it happen? Well, two things come to mind as you share. The first, because I come from an architectural background, I look at what you're offering is almost like being the architect of one's own life. I love that metaphor. Yes, that's absolutely what I'm writing, writing yes. about and talking about. Yes. Uh, because and you can be. Because we can be. Like, as my friend Kate says, you know, I am the boss of my own life. <laughs> right. But a lot of people give that up. Yes. They wait until things happen to them. And, you know, I mean, if that works for you, great. But as we're seeing right now, you know, in a, in, during during this horrible pandemic period, that a lot of people feel that they've lost control. There is a sense of things being very out of control. But the one thing that we still maintain complete uh, dominion over. And this goes back even to the early work, uh, Victor Frankel and Man's Search for Meaning, right? Is, well, of course, is our sense of purpose and how our attitudes and our action and how we make meaning from the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Exactly. And what better time, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you may be feeling pretty, 
depressed. I mean, I don't mean clinically. Uh, if you're clinically depressed, you need a different kind of help. But you're probably, you know, people are feeling down. They're isolated. They understand that isolation is not a state you want to be in if you can choose it. Even if you're an introvert, um, you still want to be connected at some times to other people. And, you know, what what better time to realize now is when I should be thinking about what's important to me and what do I want to do with my life? What is my my life meaning? Um, so for some people, that means continuing at their work. They may be doing it differently. For some people, it may be continuing to work, but in a different way and do something different. For some people, it may be spending time with family and deciding, you know, I've done enough in my work, in my career, and now I need time for other things. So there may be a lot of ways of turning around a bad situation and regaining control, taking control and designing uh, the kind of life you'd like to live. Because at some point, this will end, right? Right. At some point, the the, uh, the quarantine will end, COVID-19 will pass, and we will get back to the process of getting back to our lives, which will take time. That it, it, This is not something where we suddenly turn on the lights and everything is back the way it was. And I'm not so sure we would want it to be. I think a lot of people are looking around and saying, you know, I've, I did nothing but work. I mean, this is not just older people. I'm saying, hearing this from young people. I wrote an article about uh, networking for retirement, maintaining relationships and, and creating new relationships now where you have a time and it's important for other reasons. And I, you know, I write these things thinking it's for an audience of people in, in their 50s and 60s and 70s and older. And it was published in something called Gen 20 because young people are yeah. thinking about this too. And I think they're, to them, you know, thinking about it, whether you call it retirement or give it another name, it's really, you know, what do I want to do with whatever lies ahead? Yeah. And how do I want to be in the world? Is it that it's the retired life or the reevaluated life? Well, it's the re, you know, we've got a, if you look at the the books in, you know, I guess now online, it's retire, rewire, reevaluate, relaunch, you know, it's re everything or the new retirement, the next stage, the next phase, the next whatever. We're really struggling to uh, to come up with the terminology. And I'm much less concerned about what we call it than the fact we acknowledge that it is kind of reevaluation. So taking a look at our lives and saying, now we're here. Now I have choices to make. No matter what, no matter what happens, if you're employed, what what your employer decides, it's what choices are you going to make? Yeah. And um, now it will be up to all of us to make those choices for ourselves and our families. And I think it's a recommitment to a purpose-driven life. You know, we all have to have some purpose and meaning to life. And when the identity is shattered or the wealth is shattered by the shifts in the flighty marketplace and economy, who are we? You know, who are we without those external forces? And I think the upside of what we've all just experienced, as hard as it is financially for many of us, is that sort of opportunity to look in the mirror and polish polish that. Right. 
You know, you talk about design thinking, that the book is based on a design thinking approach. And, and you and I both revere the source or the birthplace of design thinking, which was at Stanford and the company IDEO. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about defining what design thinking is and how it applies to your book, Retirement by Design, a guided workbook for creating a happy and purposeful future. Well, when most professionals are trained to problem solve, we think of a linear process. We set out the goal and then we go step by step to work toward that goal. And excuse me, it's pretty linear. It's pretty, I won't say it doesn't have to be rigid, but it's fairly well structured. And when you're looking at a goal like a happy retirement, a purposeful retirement, how do you do that? I think it's too narrow. Uh, design thinking is a process and a, it gives you a framework that's far more creative and uh, for an open-ended process like retirement uh, that could last, we don't know how long it would last, there's so many uncertainties, that design thinking gives you a way of creating a uh, a very versatile plan that can be adapted as life changes, uh, whether it's your circumstances, the world's circumstances, uh, whatever you come up against, uh, you can adapt much more easily. And that includes redefining the goal as you go. Yes. Uh, so to me, it, it, it gives people a wider berth, a, a greater sense of creating something that's more personally meaningful and has a result that is more along what you're looking for, even as it changes. And in my experience with design thinking, it's also a very organic process, right? It's one that's born out of trial and error and the notion that one will be willing to run the experiment and, and risk failure in order to get that much closer to the the goal. Absolutely. Because, I mean, when you think about it, if you're someone who was thinking about retirement because you're finishing up your career, then what better time? What, what's the, what is failure? You know, how can you possibly fail? A friend of mine who did retire, who had a very, very high powered job uh, at a university in a medical school, retired to Hawaii where his wife was from. And he called me after a year and said, I have flunked retirement. I'm going <laughs> back. I'm going back to work. And he did something really, really interesting. But, you know, what's the big deal? And so, yes, it's design thinking gives you opportunities and it encourages you before you commit to something, try it out. See if you like it as much as it sounds, you know, it sounds like you're going to love it, but maybe you will, maybe you won't. It could be something like, you know, volunteering at the zoo. You love animals, you love kids, you want to volunteer at the petting zoo. Ah, I have a great story right? about this. We're going to take a break and when we come back, We'll talk more about this. And I want to share a story of a colleague of ours who works on the show, her husband. This is a great example. We are going to take a pause. And when we come back, we, we will continue the conversation with Ida Abbott. The book we have been speaking about is Retirement by Design, a guided workbook for creating a happy and purposeful future. To connect with Ida, please do so at 
idaabbott.com, on Twitter at Ida O. Abbott, and on LinkedIn, you can find her there as well at Ida Abbott. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. I'm talking with attorney Ida Abbott, who's also written a fantastic handbook for designing one's own life. Let's get back to that conversation. So Ida, I want to just share this brief story because in the prior segment, you were talking about, you know, volunteering and doing something that, you know, you're curious about, which really speaks to those character strengths that are part of so much a part of positive psychology. So we have a colleague on the show. She has a husband, a darling husband who retired and couldn't figure out what to do with himself and was very interested in archery. So at the age of 70, he started to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. Lo and behold, the guy ends up top seeded in the United States in the senior Olympics within a year for archery. And now his, his next career is teaching others how to shoot a bow and arrow. I love that story. Isn't that great? Well, the, I mean, I love it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I love it, especially because we were talking about how could you fail? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And the, you know, the fact is, he might, it might have had a different ending. It might be that he found out he was clumsy and he really wasn't good at it. He didn't enjoy it because it made him more frustrated than he wanted. So what's the big deal? He stops and he tries, I don't know. Mountain biking. Yeah, I mean, there are the fact is there really is no way you fail at something like this when what you're trying to do is figure out what is what you're going to be good at, what you'll enjoy, you know, what will get you into the senior Olympics. Uh, and it may be that you want to spend the next 10 years on a quest to find that out. And if you don't find to find something so what? You've enjoyed a lot of op a lot of different things along the way. You know, you kind of have to shift attitudes here when you're working in a in a business environment or a professional environment of some kind. You know, failure has a has a much different ring to it because there's a lot at stake. Yeah. And what's at stake when you're thinking about the you know the this this stage of your life when you're not going to be committed to a full time, uh, full demand job, uh, is really very little. It's it's uh, you know the time that you have to give it. 
and maybe some expense if you have to invest in equipment. But, you know, you can keep that to a minimum if it's you do it on a trial basis. So, uh, you know, you need to kind of walk into this with a sense of adventure and a sense of curiosity and, and a willingness to try things and also just think about what might make you happy. What would you be interested in? A lot of people have a hard time at that step number one. What could I possibly do? Because they've never thought about it before. They never had the opportunity before, or they didn't give themselves the opportunity. And I think that is the gazillion dollar question, right? If time or money weren't the issue, what would be that thing that you would do that you believe would bring you maximum, let's even leave the word happiness out of it, right? Because sometimes happiness can be an annoying word, but would bring you the maximum amount of satisfaction and meaning to your life. You know, in Spanish, the word for retirement is jubilación. It's joyfulness. Oh. And I think a lot of us would do better if we thought about it in those terms. Because it can give you a sense, uh, for a lot of people, it does give them a sense of freedom to finally do the things they've wanted to try or do. For other people, I, the book is not an advice book in the sense of, you know, 300 pages of how to retire. It's filled with mostly exercises and questions to answer uh, so that if you can't figure out what you want to do or what you might enjoy, it gives you ways of trying to bring up the possibilities from the things you liked as a kid that you put away when you started a career that had too many demands, the things you were good at once, the things in your job, uh, all the jobs you've had, what were the elements that you enjoyed the most? What were the things you were re- you're really going to be happy to leave behind? It's an exploration process. And the exercises are designed to help people who need that kind of help to methodically on their own and maybe with a, with a friend, a colleague, a spouse, figure out what are the things that I might enjoy doing. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the quote. I think it's Ionesco had a quote that something about sort of the the solution is in the question itself, you know? And so that pursuit of those things that make us feel most alive is the trajectory that your book is taking us down as a discovery process. Right. And it is a discovery process. I mean, there, I have to say there are many people who know exactly what they want to do and they've been waiting for the moment when they can retire and do it. Uh, For them, sometimes it's a matter of time management and which of these things can I do? I don't want to be busier than I was when I was working full time. And so how do I combine these activities and manage them in a way that I can do all the things I want to do? And so, you know, in my planning process, uh, includes a section on, you know, and there are maybe some projects where you want to go the traditional goal setting and and uh, laying out the the st- action items and steps. But I encourage people to use a calendar, a big blank calendar, and to schedule days and weeks, maybe even longer, and then you and use post its or erasable markers and move things around. Uh, especially if you're someone who does have many, many interests uh, and many other activities that 
you know, or obligations. It's a way of planning that gives you flexibility uh, to move things around, to come up with a schedule that will allow you to do the things you want to do and that you need to do, but not overwhelm you. So when we talk about the application of the design thinking process for the creation of a happy and purposeful future, what I'm really hearing you say is this just doesn't happen by accident. You know, that without, you know, applying some attention, intention and action, there will not be achievement of the desired outcome. Yeah, I mean, it could happen accidentally. You know, a lot of times things fall into your lap. But if you wait for that to happen, you could be waiting a long time and it may never happen. So, yeah, I think part of this is to create what you want. Yeah, I want to jump in here because it popped into my mind is our Robin Hood, our fair archer. Finances were an issue for this person. There wasn't a lot of income coming into the family. And by his discovery of this talent and pleasure that he had because he had been in a funk for many years. I forgot to add that when I sort of gave you the backstory of this person that his willingness to dive in ended up giving him him a career which contributed financially towards the family in his golden years, strengthened his marriage. I mean, it was a, a home run. So there was the accidental portion to that. But if he had not been willing to risk, there would have been nothing. Of course. But I mean, I imagine it sounds like he took a calculated risk. It yeah. wasn't like he was buying a yacht. No. And in fact, I encourage it's it's you know, it's nice to come after you our conversation to follow one about finances. Right, the postmortem. <laughs> well, it's actually the premortem. I mean, what what you want is and what I encourage people to do in the book is to get have a financial plan before they start this process of future activities. You know, you can plan all you want, but if you don't know what you're going to be able to afford, it's very hard to plan anything realistic. Yeah. Someone one time pointed out to me that, you know, in a way doing this planning might encourage you to do your financial planning, but I think it's probably safer to do it in the other order. I should say, first of all, Nobody feels entirely financially secure. I think the thing that scares people most (laughs) when they're facing retirement, you know, people don't want to outlive their savings. Well, it doesn't matter if you're living on Social Security or you've got 15 million in the bank. People worry about that. So that's understandable. But when you know that, you know, that you're relatively secure financially, you feel at least stable, then you know whether you can afford to take archery lessons. What's the investment in terms of of finances? How much is that going to really risk your financial future as opposed to buying that yacht? You know, and then how big a risk taker are you? How much are you willing to risk? You know, understanding your finances, I think, is really one of the first things you need in order to know what you can possibly do realistically as you go forward. And don't you think that the pandemic, COVID-19, has been a very interesting opportunity for to rethink and plan a little bit because we've gotten a taste of what it's like to be mm-hmm. in this sort of retirement phase. Yes, we will have to sort of redesign the, the workplace or the ways in which we work in order to accommodate the new world order once there's a restart. But I know for myself, I discovered that I actually have a different body rhythm than I'd been on 
prior to this. I'd been for years and years and years getting up at dawn, working like a dog, being exhausted at night. And just the discovery that, you know, I could go to bed at, you know, maybe 10 or 11 and get up at 730 and still get everything done from my desk. That made me very happy. Isn't that a wonderful, a wonderful discovery? Yes. Uh, I think a lot of us are learning that. And, you know, I'm the opposite. I'm a night owl. So it's a nice opportunity to uh, to stay up as late as I want. Yeah. And if I need, if I really am tired, I can go take a nap in the afternoon for half an hour, which I don't like to do, never did before, don't do well. But if I need to, I can. And I think people are, I mean, we're there's just so much that we're having to adjust to. Uh, it's hard to know at this point how many and what kind of adjustments are going to outlast this, but we just know everything is going to be different. It will. And there's great opportunity. And I think that the timeliness of your book, I think it's actually perfect because it really forces us to look at those factors that you talk about in your book, Retirement by Design, about the need for intellectual stimulation, social engagement, exercise and play, creativity, that sense of usefulness. I mean, these are the elements that I think we inherently or organically um, seek to fulfill, but without guidance, it's pretty hard to do it intentionally. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, I hope this book will give people that guidance. And, uh, you know, if, if now is a good time uh, to look at it, uh, you know, I hope they will. For many people, they're doing this in their minds. This is a workbook that can help them actually put it down and start thinking about it uh, in a way that may actually lead to something, help them create something. And what I love about your background, one of the many things that I really love about the work that you do is that background, your perspective as an attorney, that you're coming at this from, I mean, please take this with the spirit in which I'm going to deliver it, the ultimate movie maker's perspective, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> because the law is all about, you know, the, how we spin the movie. Well, I guess. Um, but, you know, we make what you learn as a as a lawyer is, is how to present an article, a uh, an argument persuasively. And uh, sometimes your argument is based on, you know, bad facts or bad law or, or something. And sometimes you've got a receptive audience and sometimes you don't. So you, what you have to do is is come is make a case that will persuade whoever the audience is, whoever the listener is. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to do. I don't think it's so hard to do right now. I think a lot of people of all ages are rethinking uh, the meanings of their lives and what would make a meaningful life for them. Oh, And so, you know, given that we are living in that kind of time. I don't think it's a hard sell. No, I think it's a very easy sell, but I'm, I'm thinking in contrast to where you are now. And then as a practicing lawyer defending clients or litigating on behalf of clients, that it really is a very crafted artisanal approach to making one's case. You're applying I, I see it. what you mean. Yeah, you're you're applying it here to this work, which I find so deeply meaningful. It was actually a roundabout compliment is what I was trying to trying to give you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as I think about it, it actually goes to the first part of design thinking. Because if I'm a lawyer you know, trying to build a case, I have to think about the user, right? The yes. listener. Yes. The recipient. 
But in this case, the first step in design thinking, we call it empathy, is taking a look at what is the end user feeling and thinking and what are the needs and and what's important to them. And the end user here is you. Yeah. This is about your life. That's why it's got to be personal. It's what is it that is important to you? And so it's that's why I say it's not me telling you how to live your retirement. Right. It's You're- my asking you what is important to you? What would a great retirement for you look like? And then helping you figure it out so that you can answer your own questions and create your own vision of what it would be. And so in a sense, it's really, I'm just a facilitator here or a coach, but you're the one that is designing this for yourself. So it's not my argument. It's your argument yeah. to, to yourself. I get about it. Why you want to do this and what it would be, what it would be like. To learn more about Ida Abbott, please visit her website, idaabbott.com. To know more about her book, Retirement by Design, a guided workbook for creating a happy and purposeful life, visit idaabbott.com. You can connect with Ida on Twitter at Ida O. Abbott and on LinkedIn. She is Ida Abbott. Ida, thank you from the fullness of my heart for sharing part of your day with me. This has been wonderful. Oh, it has been for me too. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Jean Chatsky and Ida Abbott, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay joyful. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU net and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.